is a game, isn't it, Mary Poppins? Well, it depends on your point of view. You see, in every job that must be done, there is an element of fun. You find the fun and snap! The job's a game. And every task you undertake becomes a piece of cake, a lark, a spree. It's very clear to see that a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down, the medicine go down, medicine go down. Just a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down in a most delightful way. You know, Marvin, this is Cobb here in the studio, joined by Marvin Trotter, our intrepid host. Good morning, Cobb. Spoonful of sugar. You know that song was actually, uh, the lyrics were inspired by the polio vaccine. No kidding. The sugar cube. The sugar cube. I took that as a kid. Yeah. So there you have it. Anyway, uh, I thought I'd give a little bit of levity okay. to the show today. Really? But before we get started, I'm just going to um, let you all know that support for KZYX comes from our members and IV Accounting and Payroll Services and Willits specializing in bookkeeping and payroll services for local agricultural businesses and more. Serving all of Mendocino County. More information is available at ivaccounting.com or 489-5486. And with that... Okay. That, I like the spoonful of sugar. Um, I was an elementary school kid, I think, when I got my sugar cube with the polio vaccine. Uh, we have a very interesting subject today, uh, suicide. With Dr. Kevin Mack, this isn't something like cardiology that I know a lot about, but Dr. Mack does. So, welcome to the show, Kevin. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. Um, so, I've known Dr. Mack through the VA and now in Covalo at Yuki Trails. Um, tell us how you got to Mendocino County. Well, my wife and I both grew up in Santa Rosa, and after we finished our schooling, we wanted to raise the kids in a small town. And a good uh, friend and colleague of mine, Dr. Paul Otto, had a practice yeah. up here. And he invited me to come up and work with him, and we thought that would be perfect. It's an hour from Santa Rosa. Our kids can stay connected to their cousins, and uh, we can raise them in a small town, and it's worked out great. We've been here for over 30 years. Uh, Paul is a great individual. Both of you were at the VA, correct? Yes, that's right. We, we initially had a private practice in Ukiah, and then the VA clinic came to town and offered us positions, and we thought, we, we love the private practice, but it's hard to turn down that 9 to 5, no call. Um, you've got benefits and paid leave time, and so we jumped on board and we're with the VA for about 15 years. So I'm working in Covalo at the Round Valley Indian Health Clinic on Thursdays and Fridays, and you're at Yuki Trails. Um, why don't you describe your job there? Sure. So another good colleague of mine at the VA clinic, Sherry Heffel, invited me to come up to Covalo and check it out. And 
I loved what was going on at the Round Valley Indian Health Clinic. And so I am now the clinical director of the mental health program through Round Valley Indian Health. And I work with both the Native community as well as uh, the general population of Round Valley providing individual services, groups, family services. Um, We're kind of a one-stop shop up there out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, it's a great clinic. Um, So today we're going to talk about suicide, which is a most difficult topic. Um, For me, and working in the ER, I never did understand suicide. Uh, The people that came in that had attempted suicide. Um, Why don't you give us an introductory start here, because it's a um, complex disease to me. It is, and it's uh, multi-layered. Suicide is rarely driven by just one cause. And if we're thinking about adolescence in particular, there's some unique challenges and vulnerabilities that they face, um, particularly right now during the pandemic, that uh, is really, really challenging them. So I thought I'd just uh, give a couple of statistics that I've come across um, regarding suicide in adolescence that I found interesting. We, you know, the mental health field anticipated that there was going to be a problem when everything shut down. We weren't sure what that was going to look like, but it's, it's beginning to emerge, and the, the number of suicides and suicide attempts and mental health issues that our kids are suffering um, is overwhelming. So one of the statistics I came across was from the emergency room at uh, UCSF Benioff Children's Hospital in Oakland, California. So um, in the fall of 2020, um, there was... Uh, double the number of uh, kids that came in with suicide attempts. Wow. And another hospital in Indianapolis um, saw an increase in suicide attempts of 250%. Um, You know, whether those are outliers or not, I'm not sure, but it just gives us an indication that our kids are struggling in a in an incredible way right now. So I really appreciate the opportunity to kind of explore how we can help our kids and look at some preventative measures that um, it might help right now. That sounds great. Um, it's, um, you know, always very disturbing to have a, a, a young person commit suicide, and I've gone back and forth as far as you know, I thought I always thought that suicide was this long-term depression sort of thing, and and at times it seems to be such an impulsive thing. Uh, it totally confuses me. Yes, and again, particularly with adolescence, you know, that time of life is characterized by impulsivity, and one of the tasks of adolescence is learning how to negotiate that in an appropriate way. So when we're, you know, our kids are locked at home right now, um, it puts them at a disadvantage as far as um, learning some other ways of managing and coping with that impulsive behavior. 
and you know it's like I alluded to earlier it's not a usually it's not driven by just one event it's it's multi-layered and if you can think of um, so it's, it's almost like a mode an on and off switch that can get tripped on by one event but there's a number of things that kind of lead to that and the 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 switch can can come on or off very suddenly so you can have someone that um you know you talked with yesterday and they seem to be doing great looking forward to the future had uh, life by the tail and then you hear the next day that they committed suicide and you just wonder what in the world happened and it's one way of understanding that is that they in fact were doing well but there, really there was this undercurrent of a kind of a cognitive thought system that combined a sense of helplessness uh, feeling unlovable, a burden to their family, and there may have been an event that just kind of brought that to the fore very quickly. And it's like that switch was just suddenly clicked on out of nowhere. And if they have the means to harm themselves and they truly feel hopeless, um, it can lead to a very, very poor outcome. The good news about this suicidal mode is that it's it's usually very time limited. If they can just hang on, that will go away. That that switch will turn off. Well, that's uh, that's what's so surprising to me in the emergency department when someone comes in with an attempted suicide. How much they want to be saved when they just tried to kill themselves. I I, I was always confused by that. Yeah, and so if you if you think about um, kind of the, the internal reality for most of us is that we have what, you know, I'm, I'm going to describe this very simply, kind of a critical self and a, a loving self that's oriented toward life and life's goals and the future. And depending on our background and the trauma we may have experienced and uh, different things, that critical self can be rather large and overwhelming. If we were fortunate enough to grow up in a healthy family and we've had some great experiences and uh, little to no trauma, our, our life self, our loving self, is probably pretty large and can compensate for that critical self that emerges now and again. But when that critical self is large and it's overwhelmed and it leads a person into a suicidal behavior, they will often immediately connect with that loving life force within them, and they'll think, oh, my goodness, what have I done? This is insane. I've I've heard people that have survived uh, jumping off the Golden Gate Bridge. The minute they jump off the bridge, they wish they hadn't done it. They have misgivings. And it's like that part of themselves immediately comes to the fore, but it takes that horrible experience to kind of reawaken that part of ourselves that is is life-oriented. Wow. Um, And when you talk about this critical side of yourself, is that something... um, 
my daughter had a friend who had a one-year-old uh, locally um, who was walking with her friend a couple of days prior to uh, committing suicide, and the friend thought that she was doing quite well, et cetera, et cetera. Is this critical self of ours just this undercurrent that we all have um, that um, that isn't shown to the public? It's sort of our our face to the public um, mask this, or I, I just don't understand um, the you know, is this something that's obvious in all of us, or I'm, I'm, yeah, I yeah, don't know. It's a, it's a good question, and I think it, it exists on a continuum within us. And so I think we could all identify with having done or said something, and we kind of reflect back on it, and I'll tell myself, you, you idiot, you dummy, what, what in the world are you thinking? That was a stupid thing to do. What an it, and and so that's kind of the the more mild end of that continuum. But we all have that within ourselves. We can we can be critical of ourselves, and then as you enter along that continuum, it can it can go from mild annoyance with ourselves to, you know, this quality of self hatred, and I don't belong here, and nobody loves me, and I don't deserve. And, you know, fill in the blank, I don't deserve happiness, I don't deserve to be in a relationship, I don't deserve to be alive. And that's at the far end of that continuum. And, you know, a lot of people never go there. You know, thankfully that part of that that critical self is not well developed. And they've, they've had other experiences in life that nurture and develop that positive self. But I think we all have it to to a greater or a lesser degree. And kids are particularly, adolescents are particularly adept at, at use the word mask, and I think that's really appropriate. They can mask that part of themselves if it's going to embarrass them or make them feel shameful or like they're odd or unusual. And so they can hide that which is really unfortunate because then they're not going to get help. And that's the thing that that um, this mask or whatever does... Um, why, why don't teens um, ask for help? Because all these people do have people that love them and care for them and would do anything um, um, to prevent this occurring... But so often that they they had no idea or were just taken by surprise or why why isn't there more asking is this this uh, go ahead yeah great question I think it's another artifact of the the pandemic is that our kids are much, much more isolated than they've ever been. And so, okay. whereas before they might have had access to a school counselor or a coach or a mentor or their best friend, um, oh. they, they have not had access to those people in their lives over the last year. That's a great yeah. point. I didn't think about that. They just are in this isolated cell, and they don't have the ability to reach out even if they wanted to. Right. Right, and and even um, terminology is is incredibly powerful. I I think it's a a real mistake 
that we we use the term social isolation. We want our kids to socially isolate. Um, I think that's toxic for our children. I think it could have been a worse message to give our kids. We do not want our children to socially isolate. We want them to physically isolate and be safe and go through all the, the precautions that we're asking everyone to do. But we don't want them to socially isolate. We want them to socially engage and be interactive with their peers and, and as many people in their lives as possible. And that social isolation term makes it sound like we, we, need, we need to kind of hold away in our room until the, the pandemic lifts. And I think that's a huge mistake that we've made. So if you just tuned in, uh, we're KZYX Radio. This is the Mind Body Health Show. Your host is Dr. Marvin Trotter, and our guest today is Dr. Kevin Mack. He's, uh, do I have this right, the clinical director at the Round Valley Health Center? Dr. Yes, Mack? Sir. Yeah, my name's Kav. I'm in the studio. We're talking about suicide and suicide prevention. And I have a, a question for you just to kind of walk back. Is suicide itself medically considered its own form of illness or is it you know because i know it's intimately linked to depression is it an action you know based on other forms of illness or how do you relate to it in that way yeah great question i i consider suicide more of a symptom of an underlying issue i mean suicide doesn't just emerge from nowhere it's often driven by depression or anxiety, and uh, a couple of the key components of that, and, you know, we've all self-pressed, right? I mean, um, we've all felt down and blue, and depression exists on a continuum. So there's mild depression, there's severe depression, and we can all relate to the mild depression. Um, severe depression is when with the, you start to experience what they call the vegetative symptoms of depression, where you have trouble sleeping and your appetite is affected and your libido is affected, and you might have trouble working and relating appropriately. That's severe depression. And suicide can emerge from that, absolutely. So it's more of a, a symptom of an underlying issue. Got it. And then one other question I just wanted to to ask, kind of following up where uh, Marvin was coming from, which is, uh, you know, reaching out for help and inability to do so. And it seems like almost the inability to do so with my limited education is, is often absent in a lot of these illnesses that may lead to uh, suicide attempts and that kind of thing. Uh, can you speak to that? Yeah, the ability to, to reach out, um, and that's, that's kind of getting into the preventative measures that we can take. Um, so I'm a big proponent of increasing the, the budget <laughs> of our mental health system, and particularly in the schools. I, I think that not only do we need more counselors, but I also think we need more education for teachers and staff so that they can recognize some of the signs of um, not only mental health, but what does it mean to be mentally healthy and to kind of guide our, 
our kids in that direction. Um, so I think the more resources we have for uh, the people that are working with our children, the better off we are and the more preventative measures we can take. So I don't know if that answers your question, Bob, but... Um, Sure. Well, and you brought up something else, which is, you know, can you go over for us some of the signs and symptoms of being mentally healthy or, you know, warning signs of maybe depression or other illnesses and kind of that spectrum that you look for? Sure. So uh, there's a number of different ways to assess for suicidal ideation or thoughts or feelings. One of the ones that I use, um, I'll just go over that quickly, it's called Is Path Norm. It's an acrostic. It kind of helps me go through and identify different areas where someone might be struggling. So it's Is Path, P-A-T-H, W-A-R-M. So if they're on the path to harming themselves, we're going to think that it's going to be warm. They're walking down that path. And here's what we're looking for. So I is ideation. You know, that's simple enough. Are they thinking about harming themselves? Does that thought cross their mind? Are they reflecting on that? The S is suicide attempts. Is there any history of attempts in their life? We know that people that have attempted suicide are much more likely to attempt again. T, purpose. Do they feel that they have a purpose in their life? People that feel that their life is meaningless, are much more prone to self-destructive behaviors. A is anxiety. Is there any anxiety in their life, any acute anxiety, anything that's happening in their life that would trigger acute anxiety? Have they lost a job or a loved one? Are they sick? What's going on with that in their life? T is trapped. Do they feel trapped? A lot of people that have attempted suicide, think about suicide, feel trapped, either in relationships or in their jobs or their lack of jobs economically, and they can't see a way out. And, again, that's one of the unique vulnerabilities that our kids are experiencing right now. Is the kids that I talk mm, to, anyhow, fascinating. all feel trapped. At home. Uh-huh. Um, and in hopelessness, we... we want to inject some hope if people are feeling hopeless. Are they withdrawing? W-A is anger. Do you see any anger, unusual anger, rage in this person? R is reckless. That's a unique characteristic of adolescence. Um, I could spend the next hour telling you about all the reckless things I did when I was an adolescent. And M is mood change. Have you noticed any drastic mood change recently? Have they gone from being happy-go-lucky to being extremely depressed, withdrawn, sullen? Um, that's a warning sign. So is path warm? That's one way of assessing for uh, suicide. If, you know, you're in a, a, an ER and you don't have the luxury of being having the time to go through something like that, you can use uh, kind of a... Simpler acrostic weight, W-A-I-T, weight. W is watch out for signs of distress, changes in behavior. A is ask, are you having suicidal thoughts? I is, is it will pass. You want to assure them 
that whatever is going on with your help, they're going to get through this. It's going to pass in time. And T, talk to others. You want to encourage them to talk to loved ones, professionals, coaches, mentors, somebody, somebody in their life. So that's a, a simpler acrostic that will help you to begin to talk to somebody who might be feeling suicidal. I'm, I'm going to ask you also about uh, um, ODs and drugs. Um, Dr. Evans told me that three times as many people have died from ODs the last uh, the last six months of 2020 in San Francisco than COVID, and that there's been I I read somewhere else a 40 percent increase in ODs in the U.S. Um, last year. Um, um, how does how does you know do drugs have a lot to do with this or i guess it depends on the individual yeah drug use is often connected to suicidal behavior um and you know from what i've read uh, during the pandemic the drug use is up there's no question about that um whether those opioid ods are suicide attempts that's harder to determine. Um, you know, they could be an, an unintended consequence of the drug use. And, it, you know, you probably know a lot more than I do about what's happening with heroin and fentanyl. And um, our kids, a lot of people are dying and they don't intend to die because of what they're ingesting. Um, but again, I think that the pandemic has, has fed the use of drugs people are are looking for ways to manage their their boredom right anxiety their stress their depression and drugs are a an immediate avenue to to dealing with some of that of course you know the consequences are horrendous but that's um, available to a lot of people what has the picture looked like uh, locally for you in your practice here in Mendocino County? Um, you know, how do you have any kind of anecdote stories of what you've been noticing as far as uh, suicide attempts going up in Mendocino County and any stories you've heard? What has been affecting people the most in their isolation? That kind yeah. of thing. So again, I work in Round Valley, which is, um, you know, rural northern Mendocino County on a Native American reservation. And what I'm seeing there is uh, certainly an increase in drug use. Um, I've seen an increase in depression that uh, our adolescents are experiencing, particularly uh, there have been a couple of deaths that I'm aware of in, in Round Valley, suicides of uh, young people. Um, there's been an increase in violence, violent behavior, kind of uh, reckless behavior, I would say. And just a very local story, looking at the, the person who... Um, I'll, I'll change the particulars to protect the identity, but um, this individual comes from a, a pretty troubled family, fair amount of trauma, 
that they experienced. They're um, 17 years old. And just uh, the first time they met me, began weeping and just asking me for help. You know, help me. What do I do? I'm depressed. I don't know what what caused this, and I don't know what to do about it. And that's a that's a fairly common experience. Um, not necessarily somebody that will break down and cry with me the first session. I mean, that for especially for an adolescent who doesn't know me, that takes a uh, a pretty vulnerable, broken person that that does that. And I think a lot of kids, um, at least that I've seen in Round Valley, are struggling mightily with the pandemic and with the isolation. If you think about what is going on for an adolescent during this time of life, the, the trajectory of their development is almost a straight line going up in terms of the changes that are happening in their body, in their mind, socially, their imagination, their hopes, their dreams for their life. And, and those changes are supposed to be taking place. They're supposed to be moving further and further away from mom and dad and developing independence, stepping out into the world, learning to negotiate who they are, their feelings, their relationships, romance, breakups, there, there's so many things that they're supposed to be managing right now, and that's all been shut down. And so that push to develop and to grow, which is really healthy and it's important for them, has just had a lid put on it. And that creates its own angst and dilemma and sense of vulnerability that they know, they may not be able to articulate it as such, but they know that they're supposed to be out in the world doing some things right now and figuring some things out and preparing for their future, and it's it's been shut down. And so I think there's an internal push that they're feeling that they don't know what to do with. And depending on what's available to them in their environment, uh, it can get pretty pretty impulsive, reckless, and destructive. So I, I just feel horrible for our, our adolescents right now. So you spoke earlier, too, about the signs and symptoms of, of, you know, a healthy mental state, and I wonder if maybe we can move on a bit to uh, you describing some of those and what some of your inspirations are in terms of uh, preventative measures and linking up with what you're saying you've been seeing. Yeah, that's great, and I appreciate the positive direction you want to take this call. I, I think, for me, one of the main components of suicidal thought is usually a component of hopelessness. The person feels that there's no hope, there's no chance of change, they've, they've become a burden to their loved ones. And so my task, and, and you don't have to be a professional to do it, is to help them see that they have hope, that their life has meaning and a, a purpose and a future. And so anything that you can do to inject hope is going to be helpful. And sometimes I work with people that, that cannot grasp that. They're just unable to see that faintest corner of 
of light in the future. And so what I'll ask them is, you know, with your permission, can I hold on to your hope for you? You let me hold on to that. You're not able to hold it right now, but I'm going to hold it for you. And I just want you to know that even though you don't feel it and have it, I do. I have it for you. And when you're ready to take it back, you let me know. Just so that they know that it's out there, it exists, they may not be able to feel it or touch it, but, but hope is there. So anything we can do, and it's not just for adolescents, anybody that's feeling hopeless, depressed, struggling, uh, you want to give them a sense of purpose and meaning and hope in their life. That's, that's one of the hallmarks of mental health and recovery, is that ability to see that things can get better and that my life has purpose. You know the the you you bring up a um, a subject that um, sort of drives me crazy. You know, talking to Amber, uh, my daughter, um, she keeps talking about how important community is, community, 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 and that has been um, when I was a teenager. I had a, a community of amigos de las Americas, this mass vaccination program in Latin America, which for five summers was my life. Uh, I dealt with it during the year, preparing, et cetera, et cetera. It was my summer project. Uh, it felt incredibly good giving vaccinations to people in the middle of nowhere uh, in Honduras or Paraguay. Um, and the community now, you know, when we lose our skating rink, when we lose our uh, bowling alley, I think that uh, the community in general, um, we need to find more ways to have positive things for our kids to do uh, and our community in general. The Alex Rohrbaugh Center is something a lot of us worked on for 20 years uh, to give the Boys and Girls Club and other you know organizations places to go. But I think as we fragment you know, just in front of our television or our computer, um, the loss of community, because your whole life is some sort of screen projection, you can get more articulate than me, Dr. Mack, but um, community, community, and how we do that in today's society of, I'm not sure what to say. Yeah, well, I, I think your daughter Amber and I are, are on the same wavelength. I, I completely agree with her, and I think community is an elusive quality for us today. And I, I look at my father-in-law, who's in his late 70s, and I see that the type of community he was involved in um, were various volunteer organizations in his community, and he was incredibly involved and did all kinds of projects for the community. Those organizations are, are dying, and they're dying quickly. And I'm, I'm looking around and I'm wondering, what are our young people getting involved in today that gives them community, that, and where they're, they're giving back to their community, which makes them feel good, that they have a sense of purpose. And I know things out there exist, and I might, it just might be a reflection of how old I'm getting, but I, I don't really know what they're doing that that gives them that. I know that my son-in-law is really involved in online gaming. 
I really think that gives him a sense of community. He has met people online that uh, they've they've gone to visit in different states. No they've kidding. Gone, they came to his wedding. And it's just, it does not do it for me. The whole online thing does not do it for me. But I don't judge it or I'm not critical of it because it seems to be the way that that generation is connecting. And, and more power to them. I'm glad they have it. But I'm also looking for ways to get people connected face-to-face. Um, and, and it's a challenge. And I, I reflect on my own childhood, Dr. Trotter, and I, I think without sports in my life, I would have gone off the rails. It, it kept me engaged. Uh, it kept me accountable to good people in my life. Uh, it kept me in school. And I, I can't imagine what I would have done had there not been sports available. And it's another thing our kids have lost in this pandemic is, is that outlet um, and that source of pride in themselves and purpose and meaning. So, yeah, community is, is incredibly important. So I have a question uh, for us, and, and before I move on, I'm just going to reintroduce you. Uh, our guest today on Mind Body Health is Dr. Kevin Mack, the clinical director for the Round Valley Health Clinic. Uh, our host is Dr. Marvin Trotter. Um, this is the Mind Body Health Program. Like I say on KZYX, my name's Cobb. I'm engineering in the studio. Uh, we're talking about suicide, suicide prevention. And I wonder, um, you know, as we've kind of meandered through the show here, we've talked about different preventative measures and watching out and, you know, reaching out and that kind of thing. And what uh, con- what resources are available to people that are, you know, looking out for their loved ones and maybe noticing something? Yeah, thanks for asking that, Cobb, because I, I want to throw some numbers out to whoever's listening. Um because there's some really good resources that are available. The one is the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. And uh, I'm going to put that number out there. If uh, people have a pencil and a paper, it's 1-800-273-TALK, T-A-L-K, 1-800-273-8255. And you can also go to Suicide Prevention Lifeline. .org, Locally, we have the Mendocino County Access Line for folks that are experiencing crisis. Um, let me give you a couple of numbers there. The Access Line for Specialty Mental Health Services is 1-800-555-5906. And then the Mendocino County Crisis Line for a mental health emergency issue would be 1-855-838-0404. 1-855-838-0404. Those are some numbers that people can access. And then... Also, I would encourage anybody that is struggling or that knows somebody that is struggling is encourage them to talk with somebody that can be their general practitioner, can be um, a professional if they're connected to a counselor or a therapist, 
um, parents, teachers, coaches, mentors, whoever would be safe for them, it's incredibly important that they talk and not feel like they are alone. And I want to... I'd yeah, like to, in that regard, you know, the emergency room is open 24-7. We see a lot of stupid stuff. You know, I cut myself with a piece of paper. Um, if you're worried about somebody, bring them to the emergency room. We have 24-7 county help in all three towns um, with an ER. Um, it's an appropriate thing to do. Bring somebody to the ER and ask for help. Well, what about... Can they call the ER? Is there an easy number to yeah. call in if call, they're pretty out yeah. there? Call in any, if you want any of these numbers for help, call the ER. But um, bringing them to the ER any time of the day or night uh, is appropriate as well. So we're going to open up the phone lines if you have a question for either of our guests, or excuse me, for our host or our guest. Um, the number to call in live to the studio is going to be 707-895-2448, and we'll do our best to get you on here. Um, and I would put that out there, too. I know there's a lot of professionals and experienced folks that may have some good suggestions or contact information to add into this conversation. So if you're listening and that's you, uh, maybe give a call, 895-2448, and add that in there. Um, in particular... Dr. Mack, I'm wondering, you know, you mentioned uh, as far as prevention goes and, and outlets in terms of adolescence and face-to-face -face gatherings and sports, and it's precisely because a lot of that isn't available that these issues have become more prevalent right now, and I'm wondering what you know about uh, what alternatives have been available that have been showing a bit of success. Well, I think the whole online Zoom phenomenon is, has been um, helpful. It's been helpful because it's a, it's a way for kids to connect, to socially be um, with their friends and family, and I, I think that that's been really helpful. There's another side to the whole online thing. You know, these kids that are sequestered in their rooms all day, and they, they've got their face on the screen as the, the cyberbullying. Um, I think, you know, just anecdotally, I think that that's escalated during this time. And so um, while the, the Zoom connection is, is great and really helpful, I'm, I'm concerned about the other side of the whole online world that they're delving into and are more connected to. So... You know, it's a mixed, it's a mixed blessing. Okay, and we have a call. Let's take our call here. Welcome to Mind Body Health. You're live on the radio. Hi, thank you very much. This is something that I've lived with my whole life. My mother used to hold it over my head as a child, and it was very disturbing and hard to deal with. She actually tried and spent a year in a mental institution. Um, but I know I'm going to go from simple to complex. Originally, I was thinking take a walk read a book, find some artwork, you know, clay, uh, painting, you know, deal with it. Deal with the, the, you know, we do get depressed, we do get down, and we are isolated. This whole social distancing thing is just for the birds. It's got to end somewhere. We've got to start getting back to ping pong and, you know, visiting and having conversations and dialogues. And what do people do when they don't have a phone? 
you know, and if I had had a therapist for a while and he wants 200 bucks an hour. That's out of reach for many of us. And so there's some real issues, you know, that need to be dealt with in terms of our economy and our... Okay, thanks for that call, caller. Um, and I'm going to move that into a question, which would be, yeah, how about all of us uh, folks way out rurally? I mean, that's particular in Covalo, uh, where these resources are often very far away. And what options do people have rurally that you know about? Yeah, well, I'd be interested in Dr. Trotter's um, take on what's happening in Tobolo as well, but what I see is the, the internet connectivity is um, actually horrible <laughs> in Tobolo. I agree. It's worthless. And it, it's really bad. And so I, I think a lot, I mean, even for the kids that are doing online instruction is absolutely horrendous and they most a lot of the kids that i talk to anyhow have very poor reception and so the whole educational endeavor falls on grandma or mom or whoever is watching the kids and they're struggling so i think the caller makes a great point um i mean if you're living in the city and you've got Great internet, you know, and that's one thing, but a lot of people in Mendocino County do not have that quality of internet, so they're even more isolated. Okay, so some some more internet connectivity could help. We have another caller. Welcome to Mind Body Health. You're live on the radio. Hi. Um, yeah, you mentioned, Dr. Trotter, that the emergency room is open. Um, I'm just curious. Um, how they're equipped for this kind of thing, and what exactly would they do? And I'll take it off. I'll take your reply offline. Uh, thanks for the call and the question. It's it's actually very easy. We call the experts. Um, the mental health department has people on call. They come interview somebody, much like uh, what Dr. Mack was talking about. What's their intent? What's you know? Do they have a plan? Uh, had they ever done this before, how anxious they are. Um, and there's a variety of responses. Some people are kept on 5150s. They think that they're uh, too much at risk of harming themselves, and they're taken to a uh, inpatient facility. Otherwise, they have counseling. They get follow-up uh, appointments for people at the mental health department. I have a question to that, in, uh, Marvin, which is, What's the mandatory hold time? Because sometimes I know people are scared to want to reach out because they don't want to necess- They want to get services, but they don't necessarily want to be told like, "Oh, we're not." You know, you said these words. Now we're not letting you go. It's it's a difficult situation, but a lot of people come in that are not put on fifty one fifty holds. It's really. Um, people that need to be on 5150 holds. Uh, we don't want to keep people on 5150 holds. It takes up the ER space, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm just trying to tell people that it's a safe place to come yeah. because you can get immediate evaluation. Got it. Okay. Welcome to Mind Body Health. Go ahead with your question. Yeah, Cobb. My name's Pat uh, from Lake County. And uh, I was with Dr. Mack about uh, 10 years ago at the VA clinic, and want to thank you very much, Dr. Max, for your help. Oh, you're and, welcome. Uh, yeah, and perhaps through a, 
act of Jungian synchronicity, uh, you also work with my dentist, Dr. Ruby Carlson, up there at Kovalev. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, thanks, Dr. Mack. Hey, um, uh, just to add a little bit to the conversation, though, a little while ago you mentioned something about a purpose, uh, and I've read some on uh, Victor Frankl, the Holocaust survivor doctor right. who could have come to the United States but stayed there and lost his family, but his thoughts were uh, rather than pursue purpose or rather than pursue happiness, as the Declaration says, pursue purpose, and that happiness is ancillary to purpose. And well, I'd like to hear your thoughts on that again, perhaps accentuate what you said before. Anyway, thanks. Good to hear your voice, Dr. Beck. Kevin, thank you. Thanks, Pat. Uh, great to hear your voice. Yeah, Victor Frankl is a uh, hero of mine, and I, I think that. He has a lot to teach us about um, how to manage dark times in our lives as a survivor of uh, concentration camps in World War II. And you're absolutely right. He, he sought purpose and meaning because there was precious little happiness where he was. Um, the, the feeling, the emotional state of happiness is fleeting. But if you can find purpose and meaning, that's, that can be a rock to stand on in, in very difficult times. So I really appreciate you bringing that up. All right, we have another caller. Oh, lost that one. Welcome to Mind, Body, Health. Go ahead with your question. Hi, I'll turn off the radio. Uh, this is Naomi from West of Willits. Um, I had a, this is not completely about suicide, but i um, I had a terrible experience at the Howard Hospital um, emergency room last summer. And so when I hear you say, bring people in, it'll be fine, that's a good thing, um, I have a hard time believing that after the experience I had where the person that I brought in, a family member, he's um, suffering from late-stage Parkinson's, and he was having kind of convulsions and seizures, uh -huh. not articulate, and... Um, we brought him to the emergency. This is during the height of COVID, of course. And they wanted us to take him home. They pressured us to bring him back home, gave him no treatment, did not address his issues or his pain. Um, I'm a small person. He's a large person, and he was quite combative, so it was very, very scary. And then he had another seizure and had to be taken back to the hospital that same night where he just about died. And they were able to bring him around, and they did hospitalize him and keep him. And with treatment, he came back around. But he would have died that night. And so I've really lost confidence in the emergency room. Well, and I don't know how someone yeah. with a, you know, a non-visible problem would be treated yeah. if that's the way they're going to respond. Well, I'm, s I'm sorry you had a bad experience having worked in the ER for 30 years in Ukiah um, and knowing the people in Willits. Um, you know, we never do our job perfectly. I'm sorry you had a bad experience, but I still think it's appropriate to bring them. Uh, for people that do have a bad experience or have had one, are there resources or yes. outlets for them to engage? Yes. Uh, uh, Dr. Lawato for 20 or 30 years, has been the head of uh, the head doc who takes complaints. You can act, write a complaint and get a response. And, and how would someone figure out how to follow up on that is there like write a, a, number write, a write a letter and bring it to the er okay yep good to hear 
Welcome to Mind Body Health. Go ahead with your question. Hi, I'm a psychiatrically trained occupational therapist and worked in facilities for a long time. And one of the adolescent uh, psychiatric techniques we used was graded activities that were no fail. We had like an arts and crafts room and we had directions written out, step one, step two, step three. And we graded the activities from some simple trivet to actually at the end doing harder uh, crafts like firing clay. And what it does is it builds self-worth and accomplishment and self-esteem. And we saw that work very successfully with our patients, you know. And we could see also if they could uh, read directions, if they could follow directions, if they could ask for help when necessary, and which we urged them to do. And um, we were very successful with that. And I think it would be a great tip for people to sit down with their kids and do an arts and crafts project together and read the directions together and praise each other for the accomplishments, the steps they make in creating whatever they're creating. That's my two cents worth. Thanks for the comment. I love the idea of a no-fail exercise. That's that's beautiful. Um, And in terms of you know, suicide prevention and, and addressing that. Um, again, can you go through some of the resource contact information before we take our next call? And yeah, sorry. Yeah, absolutely. So locally, the Mendocino County Crisis Line is a great resource. It's one eight five five eight three eight zero four zero four. And that's for emergency mental health issues. Uh, Nationally, and this is a 24-7 line, and I've had people, for the most part, have a real good experience with the the Suicide Prevention Lifeline. It's 1-800-273-TALK. 1-800-273-TALK. And you can also go online to suicidepreventionlifeline.org. And that's a nice resource. Okay, and we have another caller. Welcome to Mind Body Health. Hi, um, I'm sorry to double dip, but I got cut off. Your phone cuts off after two rings. Uh, this is Naomi. I did um, file complaints and went through quite a um, procedure about that incident where um, my family member was not well treated. Uh, but the fact remains, nothing has happened. I don't think anything ever will happen unless they're sued. But um, this man is much more disabled because of the lack of treatment and the delay in treatment. And so it really, as I say... Um, I, I'm sorry. I this the show's on suicide and not yeah, problems in well, its emergency department. I just don't think someone treated that way would be well treated if they were presenting okay. with suicidal All right. indications. Thank you very much. Thank okay. you. I, w- I want to emphasize what Dr. Mack has been saying and the, the psych nurse caller. 
I do think that the more you can go out and do something in your community, uh, get a three people together and go paint somebody's uh, living room for them that can't do it otherwise, pick up somebody's yard, do some sort of community service. Um, um, you know, if it isn't a sports or boys and girls club, uh, try to do something within your family and friends or neighborhood because that sense of um, doing something positive has a whole lot to do for your self-esteem. So we're almost at yeah. the end of our hour here. Um, shall I take one last call? What was Dr. Ma what were you going to say, Kevin? Oh, I was just going to say I, I, I agree with that. The trick is to get outside of ourselves. right? So we become so internally focused that we're, we're acutely aware of our depression and our anxiety and our fears. And when we, when we do something outside for someone else, or even just exercise, we're getting outside of that internal bubble, and it's really healing. Okay, and uh, sorry to our caller that is on hold. We're coming up on the very end of our show here. Um, and Dr. Mack, it's been wonderful to have you here. Um, there's so much that, uh, you know, this conversation could bring to bear that it could take quite a while. I wonder if we could step back. And you could just really quick in terms of recognizing the signs and symptoms that may be leading to a potential attempt. You'd mentioned the is path warm. And you got a few seconds to um, maybe just go over that real quick, what the words are. And then we'll be moving on. Sure. So you want to look for any symptoms of somebody that is feeling acutely anxious. They're actually voicing, I want to hurt myself, or they've had a past attempt. Any family history of suicide attempts is a warning flag. Any increase in drug or alcohol behavior, anger, aggressiveness. If you see changes in sleep patterns, um, it's reckless behavior. Um, you know, I've had older people that come to me, uh, they've constructed a will or a, a trust, and they want me to look at it. Well, that might be perfectly legitimate. It might be a real warning flag. So those are some things you want to look at. Okay, and Thanks that, very much, Kevin. Yep, we're going to okay, conclude the show. Thanks to Dr. Kevin Mack, Clinical Director of the Round Valley Health Clinic. Uh, thank you for being here once again, Dr. Marvin Trotter. And with that, we're going to move right along, everybody, to uh, Loose Cannon Classics. Some excellent music coming right up with uh, Susan Jewell, your host. You're tuned to KZYX, and thank you so much for tuning in. And stay tuned. <laughs>